Under every rock and beneath every layer of dust, dirt, and debris lay a scuttling series of mysteries and memories of the Earth itself. In the world of nature, just out of view from any prying eyes, things swirl and scatter and, perhaps, lay out their plans for taking in their next unsuspecting victim. Broadcasting on WCRX 88.1 FM, directly from Chicago's underground, I'm Peyton Zignego with Channel Vale, lifting up that which divides the known from the unknown. Some things are too vast and complex to ever be fully perceived. Try and try as we might, there will always be an abyss too deep, an always unexplored and unreachable depth that shies away from discovery. It is no wonder, then, that we keep trying to find those places and rip from them their long untold secrets. This practice, however, is how we learn why some things go continuously undiscovered. I continue to be someone who, in most of my life, is in awe of the world around me. We exist in a place that has something of beauty in each and every aspect of it, and yet, that same world that we inhabit is a coin, two sides constantly spinning. As we all should come to find, there really exist two versions of our world. That which is known, and that which is unknown. I'm waxing purple prose here, but I only speak the truth. There is duality in all things, of course. I mean to say that there are aspects to this great earth that lay out of view on that dark side of the coin, opposite to where we live. On occasion, those two spinning sides will find themselves overlapping, and in that dawn is where the dark unknown bleeds through, and true nightmares are made. <laughs> oh, I love getting all serious and spooky. How was that, Nadia? Do you think I've gotten the hang of it? She's not dignifying that question with a response. Fair enough. Well, listen, before I let us cover our weekly findings, I have one thing to announce. We are, apparently, a little bit of a joke in the broadcast world. I, I thought it was quite funny. Now, though, I guess I'll be forced to live up to this reputation we've built for ourselves. Or am I looking to be respected? I'm not sure. You see, Nadia and I had the pleasure of being invited out to a luncheon with some other radio hosts in the area and their co-workers. A nice little thing where we got to order both appetizers and main courses because someone else was paying. It was delightful. <clears throat> ah, the air was light and breezy, and the conversations were properly dull and uninteresting. Though I told Nadia that we had to look engaged the entire time because we were making impressions. That was until a political news broadcaster wearing a name tag that identified her as Anne looked in our direction. She asked me about our broadcast last weekend and if it was true a man's death was predicted by a stonemason. I told her I believed so and was about to get very excitedly into some of the rumors I'd been hearing recently and was going to look into when she started laughing at me. Nadia almost smacked her across the face with her notebook, but I stopped her because reporters aren't meant to be a violent breed. 
political news broadcaster Anne called us quote-unquote nightmare reporters and proclaimed that she didn't think we should be giving stock to such awful things. It didn't seem like she believed in anything other than the boring mirage of reality most people tend to like to think that we live in, which I told her. I may have also told her that she was small-minded for believing that only seen dangers would befall her. She took great offense to that and stood up with a start, spilling the remains of her drink into her food and ruining an exquisite meal. A waste, really. Nadia seemed entertained, however, so that was a win for me, to be honest. Anne shouted that I knew nothing of shadows. I knew nothing of how they twisted and turned and threatened her. She knew greater evils, and that was not one of them. She had interviewed greater dangers. Shadows aren't anything to her. And then she stormed out of the restaurant. The rest of the evening was awkward and filled with a cycle of the same three small talk questions. No one else wanted to ask about our lines of work, except maybe one of the reporters who worked for a sports station. She made a comment about leaving the station. I put that in my back pocket because dessert was coming out and that had become my priority. Nadia and I left promptly after dessert. We haven't heard from any of the other stations, so we have to assume the evening was a success in proving why we don't do luncheons. Despite all that, we didn't manage to wrangle a story out of anyone, unfortunately. Well, political news broadcaster Anne's channel has been broadcasting nothing but dead air and static for the past 32 hours that is only occasionally broken up with what I assume is some sort of Morse code. Perhaps it's just an interesting choice for her to steal listenership from us. Or perhaps something really was lurking to steal her away. And perhaps, wherever she is, she doesn't want me to look into it. I'll respect her wishes. Besides, Nadia and I have big plans. We're a little preoccupied with alleged awful things, Anne. Our apologies. But we like the change in content. Very fun. And that was Nadia and I's night out. Now... Don't tell Nadia this, but I'm thinking we shall have another one very soon. Hang on. Uh, Nadia, don't look at me like that. No, I'm not keeping secret plans from you. Who told you that? I told you not to say anything. <clears throat> well, I'm not saying anything else to either of you. Turn back around to your work, Nadia. You won't get another word out of me until I don't feel scrutinized. Much better. Now, where was I? Ah, yes, I have a fun geography lesson to share. Look at us diversifying what we talk about. There is a river in Europe named the Danube. It flows through the continent without regard to nation lines or arbitrary human zoning restrictions. According to an account sent to us this week, this river is prone to long swaths of unfriendly wilderness as it twists and churns its way through the landscape. Flooding and the general fickle nature of water create a home that is unfit for a great deal of life, aside from willow trees that are built to withstand whatever the river can throw. I give you a little tidbit about the wilderness of Europe for a reason. I do things with reason, I swear. We were given a waterlogged journal, mailed to us from a return address that had been physically scratched out of the mail packaging. Speaking of which, I was already excited to see another journal covered in liquid, so I instantly started making plans to send part of it over to our partner scientific researchers to see if we could identify the water to locate it or something, but I opened up the journal to the first page and saw that the location was stated outright. No added work necessary. Listen, sometimes we don't even get that, so I was grateful I didn't have to send another plea to their doorstep. 
especially because last week I asked if they would do fingerprinting on every report we'd ever been handed, and they sent me back a printed image of what seems like a very sad cat with three handwritings all yelling no. On the back, they wrote that since Nadia and I have been touching them, that there were likely no fingerprints to use anyway. That makes sense, to some degree. Anyway, we got off scot-free in identifying where we find our current journal author, but now we ask question number two in list of hard-hitting journalism questions to ask. Who is speaking? In an almost expected case now, our informant didn't leave a name. In fact, he doesn't even name his traveling companion with whom he went through the events of this account with. Instead, he only refers to his partner as the Swede, which seems a bit cold and unfriendly if you really think about it. I mean, I go practically everywhere work-related with Nadia, and I have never once just referred to her as the reporter or something as cold as that. I suppose for anonymity's sake, it works quite well. Not that any of this is of much importance in the grand scheme of things, I just found it an interesting tidbit of information in regards to this case. It also happens to make our jobs infinitely more difficult. We so-called nightmare reporters, thank you political news broadcaster Anne, already have a mountainous amount of ends to find and or tie up, but now we can't even return to our key witnesses. Nadia still attempted to track down anyone she could, so she sat hunched over her computer for quite some time, looking between the screen and a massive stack of phone books, all to very little avail. She did, however, provide me with a fantastic little map as a reference for the events in this case. Inked out in red pen and post-its, I have an adorable little recreation of our incident report author's adventure. It is quite the journey. According to his journaled words, the pair of men were working their way down the river in a canoe, armed with only provisions and a tent. It seems they were a decent ways into their travels when they reached a long stretch of nothing. A place along the river where wilderness prevails and the willow trees grow in thick and towering. The water grew almost ravenous as it swirled and flooded, threatening to take the vessel into its depths. The pair of travelers decided to make landfall on an island, though navigating their boat onto land proved somewhat difficult. I find it interesting how personified our traveler makes the river out to be. To him, it would seem the water takes on its own identity, and each of its twists and turns and every whirlpool and rapid is a piece of a greater whole living thing. I quite like that, seeing this place of the landscape as an active part of it. There is beauty in that sentiment. It would seem then that the river and this landscape were angry with something, or perhaps perturbed. As according to this statement, the river was flooding and overcome with a roar. The air above agreed and acted in turn, blowing fiercely and with a howl. The landscape of the area mimicked the fauna. The island that our report takes place on wasn't very large, but was, aside from a sandy beach, covered in a thick overgrowth of willows that stood against the battering elements. These willows grew in thick tangles that swayed and shuddered in the ever-present wind. According to this account, our adventurer felt a strange sort of pit begin to dig itself in his stomach. The sight of raw elements all laying themselves out before him was something that was, it would seem, very overwhelming. The willows, he mentions again, were something that added to this primordial unease that was growing on him slowly, like a mold. The trees were everywhere and growing in tangles that had a gaze almost impossible to escape from. Unfortunately, despite the fact that perception informs reality, there is little that we can do from these words alone to confirm whether or not what he writes is true in any capacity. 
Unease is a powerful force, but ultimately not one that can be proved or disproved. But what is journalism about if not the experience of being human in situations where it would be better if we weren't? The report continues onwards, where it's reported that because of the raging condition of the river and a continuing flood, the island was shrinking, growing visibly smaller as time passed. And the wind wasn't letting up. Dread and unease grew worse when the pair of men found themselves staring at a dark shape being thrown about by the force of the raging waters. The unmistakable outline of a lifeless body adrift. It was then that- oh wait. Uh, okay, you have to excuse this, but I have a very important phone call that I realized I have yet to make. Oh, this is really unprofessional and at an apex moment too. Uh, okay, okay, I'll make it quick. I'm sorry, but it's something very important for later. Y you'll see. If I don't do it now, I'm messing up something very important. I promise I'll make sense. Just hang on a moment, please. Uh, from WCRX 88.1 FM, this is Channel Vale and Peyton Zignego saying sorry for leaving you. We'll be right back. WCRX 88.1 FM is returning with Channel Vale, still broadcasting from underground Chicago with Peyton Zignego. There's my duties finished, and my focus may finally settle back down into what it's meant to be looking at. Everything has been set back right into its place, and the best laid plans are getting themselves pieced together as we speak. But our present topic awaits. Another journal came into our hands, and we're having a bit of a story time, if you will. Journalism is story time, right? But with real accounts and a much darker undertone... Actually, it's a dark overtone. Okay, it's really not like story time at all. I lied. I I'm sorry. Nadia has turned to stare me down from her side of the glass. I see that I was really wrong about that. Lesson learned. Well, uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, the allegedly unmistakable figure of a body bobbing up and down in the water was, thankfully, actually the shape of an otter, simply going about its business. The two adventurers convinced themselves of that though they secondly see another figure out in the distance of the river's water. This shape seemed to mimic that of a man standing on a paddleboard of sorts, though our journal's author admits that it was somewhat difficult to make him out. But surely that's what he was seeing, right? There was no way to confirm or deny as the shape made its way down the river and out of sight from the shore where they were standing. Imagination must be running wild. Surely that is what was causing a swirling fog of fear to settle around their hearts as its counterpart settled around the island. They continued to make camp, cooking for themselves from their preserves. According to the journal, the flood and wind continued onwards, the wind seeming to intensify as night fell. The journal's author, at some point, left their camp to follow a desire to spend some time alone. There was something about this place, he reports. It gave a sense that every part of it was in tune to some unheard form of communication. Singing songs that couldn't be heard, but whose effect could be felt deep in the fiber of one's being. A low ringing alarm, just out of earshot, screaming in distress. Everything was against them here. This place was whispering threats they couldn't pick up on over the roar of the wind. When they met back at camp, they turned in for the night in their tent, buckling down for respite against the wind and the ever-present sensation of being in a place that wanted them gone, or so it felt. It was roughly midnight when he continues his statement. The wind still blew harshly, which made the willows sway to its demands, making them dance. But there was something more, something that he knew not to be right. 
there were dark outlines of more than just trees and foliage. Figures in the flora swaying and moving against the wind, proving that there was independent input from something alive. More alive than the trees, and yet still part of them. They are described as shifting, fluid entities that act as though part of the trees, and yet entirely their own, blurring the lines between being separate and the same. Even here, in his own statement, the adventurer relates that he may not be able to prove this was true or these creatures were real, but he saw them, and to him, they may as well have been. His senses argue with him. Maybe everything was a trick of wind and moonlight, blending together to create a sort of unfortunate puppet show, made to make a fool of the human mind. There was wonder and fear and the very sharp knowledge that he was stuck here, a sitting target for anything, should they be real or illusory. Rising fear pushed him to go back to sleep, forcing himself back into unconsciousness with nothing other than the desire to no longer be in this moment, where fear and unease rose faster than the flooding river. He brings us with him to another waking moment in the night, where he was roused again from a light sleep, but the rest of the page is torn. In fact, the rest of the journal is missing. It's clear there were more pages, as the remnants of torn shreds are still embedded in the leather binding and glue, but they are no longer part of this whole. We are left stuck in this moment of this adventurer, lost in a sea of dread and with unanswered questions of whether or not anything he was seeing was real and reportable phenomenon. The water laughed and the wind howled, but we are left no answers. Again, this is not uncommon for us. There are often times where we are missing pieces of a story, especially those that are written in mediums so easily destroyed as paper and pen. Despite living through water and harsh environments, simple tearing took away the rest of this statement from us. I, however, am not about to give up on this. There is clearly more of a story here than this journal's missing pages realize. Of course, we took all the proper precautions when it comes to reporting and looked to see if we would have any luck tracking down the author, his companion, or the other pages themselves, but nothing. All that's known is what I have right in front of me, an incomplete tale. That, of course, got me really thinking. What else is there to do but the necessary research and outreach? Not to mention, according to some of the other reporters and broadcasters from the luncheon, there is great value in an on-location investigation. So, surprise! Nadia and I will be dragging each other out of our cozy little station right after I finish all of my little talking points here and heading out into the wilderness. My field reporter and I will be doing some real field reporting out in almost a real field. I had to make a call earlier to confirm the flights and... Nadia, don't look at me like that! You can just sleep through it. And so, we should all be set to go. This report will have an ending if we have to make it ourselves out in an unforgiving wild. We will drag the resolution from adventure with the cold, half-dead hands of seasoned reporters and see what we can't excavate. The world is our graveyard and we intend to dig. Reporters are meant to scurry out into the strangeness and see what silt we can disturb to create a full image of what is truthfully happening in these places of missing pages and incomplete statements. We will make the secret of these willow forests reveal themselves, and we shall bring you along to the feast. Channel Vale is going on a trip! Uh, well, I would say road trip, but there is quite a bit of water involved, isn't there? Uh, just a trip, then. Uh, an investigative adventure. But that is the future. In the present, we are still where we are meant to be, each in our respective seats, just a glass panel away from each other. 
We have an adventure ahead of us, but the present is calm and quiet as we wind down this evening's broadcast. The horizon is a promising line, but even if we reach it, there will always be another to take its place out of current reach. Stare out at that horizon with us and bring back in your outstretched arms. Allow yourself to spend a moment simply looking onwards without anticipation of what is to come. There is calm before chaos. Surely this calm only precedes the gentle settling of the night. If not, well, we shall face that reality together when it arrives, shouldn't we? Now, Nadia and I have some packing to do. I wonder if we should set up a sitter for the station microphone and cameras. Does our technology get lonely without us? Uh, maybe I'll have our scientist send a research assistant to check in on the station while we're gone, so we don't come back to feelings of unappreciation. I'll make a note of it. Oh, uh, but before I do that, I have something for you to take note of. If you haven't already heard, Channel Vale has places carved out of the internet for you to find us. Nadia works very hard to make sure that each week we have a recording of our broadcasts going up at the same time as we're doing this live. You can find them wherever you find your podcasts usually. All you need to do is search for us under the name Channel Vale, which has Vale spelled V-E-I-L. If you're my cameras or microphone listening to this, you have enough content to tide you over until I'm back at the station, so don't worry about it. If you're not, you also have enough content to make it until we broadcast again next week. Win-win. Speaking of which, I do hope you'll return to hear my voice live again next week. Broadcasting, as always, from Chicago's Underground, this has been Channel Veil. Vale. Today's newscast was brought to you by WCRX 88.1 FM and The Willows by Algernon Blackwood. I've been Peyton Zekneko, letting the veil between you and the world of the unknown once again slide back into place. For now. Thank you so very much for listening.